Welcome to the Earning the Push podcast. I'm Jack Murley. Each and every week, myself and co-host Charlie Beckett, professional rugby player, cast our eyes over everything happening in the world of professional wrestling. This is a special Monday episode of the podcast because just a few hours ago, AEW's Double or Nothing was in the books. We have new champions, new appearances, matches that defy belief in some circumstances, and we're here to break them all down. Charlie, we've both got watching it, uh, got done watching it. A matter of minutes ago for you, a couple of hours back for me. What did you think? Yeah, I genuinely, it's three minutes past 11 now. I genuinely finished at 20 to 11. I, I've, um, I've been all morning. I got up at six, walked the dog, and then that was my morning. Um, I enjoyed it in all. All in all, I enjoyed it. I can't lie. I didn't watch every single minute because I would still be watching it because it is so long. There are a few matches I did skip through because the build or the mat, the build hadn't excited me or I didn't particularly love the performers. But all in all, I thought it was a really good show. This is this is AEW's version of WrestleMania, isn't it? Double nothing. This is their showpiece, and it was it was worthy of that billing. I thought. We'll double back to touch on the length uh, a little bit later. I don't want to harp on on it because I know it's a bit of a bugbear that I have and others don't share. But I got up at 5am this morning to watch it before our recording. And when I hit go on the Fight TV app at 5 o'clock in the morning thinking I'm going to be getting the show starting, it took me to the entrances of the Hangman Punk match. I mean, they they weren't even close to being done with the pay-per-view. That is a whopping show. I think it clocked in at about 4 hours and 40 minutes, which is insanity yeah it's just so long and i think my issue with it is there are matches on that card that definitely could have been dynamite main events it 80 percent of the matches needs to be on the showpiece card of the year so the 20 percent that don't don't force them on you didn't need to fill it wasn't like you were clamoring to make a three-hour show that card very easy could have been three to three and a half hours of unmissable wrestling where i'd say there was an hour or so well i did there was an hour or so that i did perused over, casually skipped through, saw the main spot, saw a bit of what was happening, saw who won and carried on. And I think if you'd maybe cut a bit of it out, I think you could have had a genuinely start-to-finish unmissable show. Let's go through the good, the not-so-good, because nothing really was particularly bad, the unusual and the drama, because, my goodness, there's been some drama over Double or Nothing weekend with AEW. But let's start with what, in theory, is the most important thing in any promotion. That's the World Championship. And CM Punk is your new AEW World Champion. He beat Hangman Adam Page to claim his first world title in his first world title match in the best part of seven years. Punk on top once again, Charlie. That's the image we're leaving double or nothing with. Yeah, we're ready for another summer of Punk, aren't we? Just 10 years or so after the first one. Um, yeah, I think it was. It made complete sense. I think we've spoken at length on this podcast about how Adam Page's title run maybe hasn't felt as, as important as it should and to no fault of his own, really. He's only really come into his stride in the last month or so with how he's been portrayed. Um but you don't pay the money for CM Punk and not have the title on him. But even away from that, when you and I were just texting, he's completely earned it. You look at what he's done since he's come into the company in less than 12 months. And you see the interview after with Tony Khan, the pressure that you've seen it, where he gets real fired up about the fact that Punk is worth every penny he pays him. Someone asked him about Bischoff's comments from being a flop. And he just runs through the things he's done. And he just basically says he's worth every single penny. And when you hear it listed like that and the records he's broken on pay-per-view sales, on attendances, that sort of stuff, since he's been in AEW, the young guys he's worked with, as well as the vets he's worked with, the matches he's had, you can't argue that in the last nine, ten months, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve this. 
and and I think, and this is going to sound very strange. I'm going to say it, and hopefully you get what I mean. He's here because he's CM Punk. He's been back since September, and he's not been a shadow of CM Punk. He's not been a CM Punk tribute act. He has been CM Punk. He has been having five-star matches in the dog collar with MJF. He has been elevating new talent. He's been in some of the most buzzworthy segments that AEW has had. He has been CM Punk without missing a beat, without missing a step, and he's been gone for seven years. I don't think we can sleep on what that means. I mean, Shawn Michaels was gone for four Daniel Bryan was gone for four. Edge was gone for, for longer. But, you know, it's hard to do what Punk has done. Yeah, especially when he's such a divisive figure anyway. And there was always going to be the huge clamour from coming back. But then actually when he settled into week to week, what was he going to be like? Because, like I say, drama seems to follow him everywhere he goes. He settled into just being week to week the best worker in the company. And he hasn't demanded to be in the main event every week. He hasn't demanded the title shot straight away. He's a slow build. He's put young stars over. And I think he's just been everything the AEW could have wanted and us wrestling fans could have wanted. And I'm now very excited to see a Punk Championship run. I, I, I On the match, I enjoyed the match massively. I liked that it started fast and then slowed into a bit more storytelling. Mm. I really thought they were going to pull the trigger on a um, Hangman heel turn. Yeah. Then when they didn't, I thought they were going to pull the trigger on a full Punk heel turn. I thought Hangman was going to put the belt down, Punk was going to pick it up and lay him out with it. And in the end, we got neither. They both stayed face, and that that's fine. I do think this is sowing the seeds for, I think we'll see Hangman take the, the righteous path a few more times in the next few months in big matches and lose them because of it. And I think this is going to be a slow build to him snapping and, and turning, whether it's the influence of someone else telling him being good isn't working for you or whether he realises it himself. I think we could see a Hangman turn eventually off the back of this. And Punk will run as face champion for a while, I think he will either have a shorter reign or he will turn heel during his title reign because I think the yay CM Punk is champion will get old at some point. And before it does, I think CM Punk will freshen up. And I, I genuinely believe heel Punk is the best CM Punk. I think what we're seeing here as well is since CM Punk has come back to wrestling, CM Punk has been the biggest fish in those waters. You've had the champion, but CM Punk has been the biggest fish in the waters. And now Punk is the champion. You've not got this, which I think Hangman Adam Page had to deal with, this idea you've got the champ who should be on top, but you've got Punk who is on top. Now now the guy has the belt. And I don't know where we go. I, I can't see what his future is. And I quite like that. I think that's very exciting. I was just having a chat with um, Andrew on Twitter. Mm. Uh, you have seen it because you were tagged. You've been reading along. And Andrew, bless him, we were trying to have a conversation without posting spoilers, which is not easy. But I think in the title feud, I think the way he was brought back last night, I think we're going to see a big push for Andrade now. He's obviously been away for his um, wedding with Charlotte, which, by the way, side note, if you see any of the photos and videos on social media from that, that looked like a hell of a party like you'd imagine it would be between the Flares, the Flair family, and then just the Mexican party that is the Andrade family. So that looked like a hell of an event. I'm sure our, our, I'm sure we'll get our invites for the when they renew their vows oh, at course, some point. Of course, of course. Um, but I could see him being pushed as a superstar coming back because he's had a decent run so far, but nothing. What If I said to you, what's Andrade done in AEW so far? What, what sticks out? Anything in particular? Or is it just a bit of, nope. he's been okay? He he has been okay. And this is the big AEW roster issue. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. And Andrade is better than okay. He is, he's a superstar. I genuinely believe you watch his run as NXT champion. You see the difference that happened with him in NXT when they changed how he was um, portrayed a little bit when he had Zelina Vega put with him. Yes. That changed everything. It looks like he's coming back as a little bit of a different character with different people around him. 
change of character, change of how he's portrayed. I could see him being pushed to the main event scene and I get behind heel Andrade versus face punk for the title through the summer. I definitely get on board with that. I like the idea of Miro being out there. I like Kenny Omega being out there as well. I don't hate the idea that the winner of the Owens, which we'll get onto later, could potentially be teed up as a challenger. Um, Just a word on Hangman Adam Page. His title run has been on paper extraordinary and he's given us some amazing moments. And yet, do we have to say, if we're honest, it is a disappointment in terms of setting that company on fire and how much of that is his fault? I think his biggest problem has been throughout his whole title run, at no point did the title fill out the main story in AEW. No. You had uh, the Danielson stuff with uh, with Moxley. You had MJF Punk bubbling under. You then had MJF Wardlow. Like Other stories have felt like the biggest deal, and that, that hurts the title no matter who holds it. Now, you could angle that it's the champ's fault because they haven't made it feel a big enough deal, but how do you compete with CM Punk coming back for the first time in seven years, coinciding with your title reign? That's a tough gig for anyone. Um, I I think it's tough to angle. It's far from a failure. He's had a great. They ran through who he defended his title against in the in the yeah. in the uh, commentary, didn't they? And there's been some unbelievable title defenses, and it's a great run. And just shy of 200 days as champion is not to be sniffed at. It's longer than Jericho's run as the initial champion, which I was surprised when I heard that actually. And isn't so, isn't that Charlie? Isn't that the point? It, it was a long run, full of five star matches, and yet it feels like lesser than Jericho's and probably lesser than Moxley's and maybe even lesser than Omega's as well. Yeah, and that's bonkers, isn't it? I think that is that is crazy. So I don't think you can angle the quote-unquote failure, which it isn't a failure, but the no. disappointment maybe on, on Adam Page's shoulders. I think anyone would have struggled to compete with what else was going on on the AEW card. Uh, it, it's a... It's a it was a slight problem. It's a good problem to have, but it was, it was a slight problem nonetheless. I, I also love that we're at our fourth double or nothing now. Three years ago was the first one. And we've only had five champions in AW world champions. And I like that. It feels a very not to the point of the NXT UK title, which is ridiculous because it seems like if you don't if you don't have that title for two and a half years, then you're not really the champion. But this this is a prestigious title. It doesn't just get handed about, it doesn't get given to people for quick pops. People have to earn it, and there's long builds to to uh, title wins. And I like that about the title. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And thank you for the entertainment, Hangman. And it was a hell of a run. And, you know, we hope that maybe this will be fuel for your heel turn or whatever's coming up and you put your body on the line. Uh, look, one, one other thing, sorry. One other thing it. I love from the, from the match. I love the story of it doesn't matter if you do someone else's finisher. If you don't know that move inside out, if you haven't perfected it, it's not as effective. And I loved that. Now, I don't know if Punk not being able to land the flip into the buckshot was planned. I think he didn't just quite land it twice, if I'm being honest with you. But even so, I love that the GTS done by Hangman doesn't have the same effect as done by, done by Punk, who's been doing it for 20 years. That the buckshot by, done by Punk does not have the same effect as done by Hangman. It makes the moves when done by the actual people who own them, quote-unquote, seem even more special, even more effective. I loved that. That was a really quite niche bit of storytelling that I really, really enjoyed. I did as well. And look, whether it was intended or not, that's when you have your Hall of Fame commentary team there who can who can cover it and add to the story. And I yeah. thought they had a really good night as well. Uh, so look, this is a, a Monday edition of the pod. This replaces a Friday one. It's all double or nothing. There are no breaks. We're going all the way through. We'll be talking about the Owens, Anarchy in the Arena, and some other bits and bobs as we go along. But the question I've got asked most from wrestling fans this weekend has been simply what's going on with MJF there was a point for those who weren't watching this drama where MJF didn't show up here's what we know MJF didn't show up at a meet and greet he was booked for 
We know that MJF, by not showing up, meant AEW had to dish out a load of refunds, and the speculation is at one point he was on a flight out of Las Vegas. He wasn't going to be there. He did turn up. He was beaten by Wardlow. Drama doesn't even begin to cover it, Charlie. Yeah, I, I think we all were very confused what was going on, especially with it being MJF, who could have just been working the whole time. If anyone's going to do that, it's going to be him. I was glued to Sean Ross Sapp's Twitter feed all weekend because... If you, anyone who knows, knows that he seems to get the scoop on all of these things first. And even he was like, look, I don't really know what's going on here. He was being very open with what he was being told and what sort of sources were telling him it. And he was saying, if this is a work, they're working the AEW roster because they don't know anything about it. So, and, it, and he said then, I don't, I think that means this is not a work because Tony Khan doesn't seem to do that. He seems to be pretty open with his roster. Um, all we know is MGF turned up. He did the business for Wardlow. And that's, that's all we know. Uh, I saw SRS again reporting that he was unconfirmed rumours, but he'd heard from one source that MGF turned up just before the match and left immediately after his match. W- whatever's happening, it seems like this isn't a work. It seems there is some something not right in the AEW-MJF relationship right now. And with all the drama around his contract being up in 12 months and what he wants to do and the, the fact that he gives pretty shoot interviews that... You can't be happy about it if you're Tony Khan. You just can't. It, it's one thing to say any press is no press is bad press, but you can't be happy when your biggest superstars base saying, come and get me to your biggest competition on the world stage. So something is not right there. And as of this moment, I don't know if you see MGF seeing out his contract in Asia, because if this is what he's doing 12 months out, if he wants out, what's he going to be like for the next year? Yeah, the, the honest truth is there are three things that are happening here. It's a complete work and everyone is being worked. It's a complete shoot and no one is happy, or this is a shoot that is turning into a work as they go on because they're able to hash their differences out. But there is no doubt about it. You look at this and you go, I didn't think, even if I didn't know all the backstage drama, I didn't think MJF looked particularly happy when he walked out to the ring. Now, he is a master heel. He mimed an aeroplane flying away from Las Vegas. He bought into it, but... But that didn't seem right. And I would be fascinated to know what the plan for that match was before this weekend shenanigans versus now. Because actually, you wanted Wardlow to decimate MJF. That's exactly what happened. But it could also very easily be read as a, this is a goodbye to one of your pillars in AEW. Yeah, the only thing I'd say is I think the way MJF is, if he wasn't happy with how the match was going to go, I don't think he'd play ball. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the plan the whole time. I don't think this was a, you've been playing up this weekend, so now you're going to be punished for how this match goes. I think the story dictates, I think everything made sense for the match to go that way. I thought the match was brilliant, by the way. I thought for the story it served, it was excellent. Um, it didn't seem right, though. It just, yeah, something is not right there. And I will be fascinated to see if it's addressed on Dynamite on Wednesday, if anything's mentioned. But more, more importantly, be, be, be glued to MGF's Twitter, be glued to any interviews he's doing, all that sort of, because he doesn't he doesn't mess about. If he's, if he's thinking something, he'll tell you. So it's going to be very, very interesting next few days. Do you know the reason I think that that's a goodbye? And it's not just a stretcher job at the end, which I know you've oh, got... why? Oh, there's stuff to talk about there. Yes. I think that could be the end because it went on first. Because imagine mm. if you'd hashed that out and, and there was a storyline to be told there. 
you would probably tease, is he here, is he not there? You might lean into it a little bit. You probably wouldn't open up with it, but you had to open with the fact he was there just because of all the speculation he wouldn't be there. And it just, to me, felt very much like a goodbye. Now, have your say on the medics at ringside who, after MJF was powerbombed to oblivion ten times, they really did him dirty. They really did. Well, it just it was awful. Like, it's just, it's awful. Like... They just plonked him on the stretcher with no care. They just whacked a neck brace on him with no assessment. There was zero assessment of the injuries. Just bang, neck brace on him in the ring. He was then slid out of the ring and just plonked on the stretcher. And then the pièce de résistance, the cherry on top of this medical farce cake, was, go back and watch if you didn't notice it. They put his oxygen mask on upside down so it covers his nose and his eyes up to his forehead it goes that way not that way like it should over his mouth and nose the wrong way so it goes over the bridge of his nose covers a little bit of his eyes and plonks on his forehead what a i was swore what a moron what a moron whoever was holding i know they're not medically trained because of course they aren't it's all it's all a work they're they're wrestlers basically the security guards but just use some common sense. You've seen that you've watched Holby City or something like that enough. Grey's Anatomy in America. ER, you've watched something to know how an oxygen mask goes on. They just they just dumped it on his face. And you could you could see, I think, the moment in his eyes going, What the hell is going on here? As this thing was just upside down, ass backwards on his face. It was it was marvellous. Um Let's talk a little bit about Wardlow in this context because he's the one who is getting lost in all this MJF talk and that's really, really disappointing because he has more than held his own. They have a megastar and every opportunity they've given to him, I, I thought he looked better than ever in that. I mean, the charisma, Charlie, we say every week, the charisma of the man. Yeah, I think he's their hottest baby face right now and that's that was why when the rumours started coming out about MJF no-showing, I was going to be most disappointed for Wardlow. I said to you, if he if he does this to Wardlow, that's just really poor on a human-to-human -human basis because this has been a two-and-a-half-year build. This man, um, this man Wardlow, I was about to say his real name then, but I'll keep kayfabe. Wardlow deserves this. He deserves this. And he's worked hard for this, and he's gone through some tough times, both physically and mentally, and bided his time for two-and-a-half years, set on the outside. So he deserves it. If, if, if MGF had bailed on him at the last minute, I would have been really disappointed in that for him. But yeah, I think they've got their hottest baby face right now and he doesn't need to do anything different to be a baby face and do what he does, run through people and be happy about it. Like just, you don't have to, you don't have to be healed to be able to batter people. You can batter people within the rules. You can just decimate them. So I think it'd be very interesting what they do with him, whether they keep his um, Goldberg style entrance with the security guards marching him out. Didn't understand why he was in solitary. Didn't understand why he had uh, two pairs of handcuffs on. Kind of loved it. Do they give him music at any point or will he always just walk out to no music? There are so many questions, but I would not change the character of Wardlow at all. I would just start having that man work his way up the roster, just work his way up. Do you know what I would do? I'd put him straight into the main event picture now. I would make him... With Punk. I'd make him Punk's first opponent and I would whack it on a dynamite and I would do a non-finish. Um, okay, yeah. And I would make it into an angle and I'd give them a good show before because I think you want to take Wardlow and say he is at that level. He is at that level, and Punk can make him at that level, and Wardlow needs something to do now, whatever's going on with MJF. I thought it was a great moment for him, and what I will say is whether it was shoot, whether it was work, whether it was a mix of the two, 
boy, oh boy, did that Las Vegas crowd make that segment with MJF. I mean, they gave it to him both barrels. Fabulous, fabulous way to start the show. Yeah, excellent. It started the show hot and it carried on that way, didn't it? Anarchy at the arena to talk about. Hardys and the Bucks as well. We'll get some reactions from yourselves from socials as well. Um, I think this is the moment of the night for me because it transcends wrestling. Martha Hart getting to award the winner of the two Owen tournaments, their belts and their respective trophy. For those who are just catching up, Adam Cole beats Samoa Joe to win the men's Owen and Dr. Britt Baker beats Ruby Soho to win the women's Owen and afterwards a presentation on the ramp that was about as genuine and real as anything you're going to get in wrestling to the extent that these two, on the face of it, heel wrestlers are just, you know, they're just being themselves. They weren't characters in that moment. No, they were they were the people, weren't they? And you could see how much it meant to them. I loved their gear, by the way. I loved their heart-inspired gear, both uh, Cole and uh, Britt Baker. Um, I thought the uh, Adam Cole Samoa Joe match was excellent, was brilliant. It only was fifteen minutes, wasn't it? But that's all it needed. I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant match. I can't lie, the Britt Baker Ruby Soho match was one of the ones I skipped through. I'm going to be honest. I did see the end and Ruby Soho's sharpshooter was was not one the Hart family would have been proud of, I don't think, unfortunately. No. Um, but you called this right. You called this right last week. I called it completely wrong. I said I thought Joe and Ruby would win. You said we're going to see the power couple of uh, Adam Cole and Britt Baker with the trophies. And, and we did. I love the belts they got given. Yeah. And I thought the way Martha Hart spoke was brilliant. It was beautiful. It was a very emotional moment. Very happy that she's found peace with wrestling again. But let's not for, let's not uh, go unnoticed that she didn't actually give him the trophy. She picked it up, she walked around to the front, she held it for the cameras, and then just put it back on the table. <laughs> Which I just that really made me laugh. Think about being in sport when you win a trophy. There's that big moment where they hand it over to you, lift it up, and <laughs> Cole and Britt are probably excited to get a hand a hand on it each. That'd be a nice photo above the above the mantelpiece, wouldn't it? In their house with a belt over one shoulder and the trophy on the other hand. Martha Hart went nope. You're not getting that. I just put it back down. I I thought she was great. I I thought it was a lovely, lovely moment. And actually, to me, that that because I was thinking as this was going on about all sorts of people who only know the legacy of Owen Hart through his tragic and untimely end. And I was thinking about Jim Ross, who was at the commentary table on that awful night and had to deal with the aftermath. And I was thinking how it must feel for him to be sitting at a commentary table and watching Martha Hart and Owen Hart's children in in the wings wherever they were watching and actually to have it come full circle because for so long Owen Hart's name has been associated with tragedy and you should never define a person's life by the way it ends however tragic and there was so much more to Owen Hart that for reasons that I think are pretty obvious the Owen Hart family were not comfortable with WWE celebrating it's good someone in wrestling can and AEW have done a really classy job yeah, I think the tribute, having a wrestling tournament that's based just around wrestling. It's not based around much else. It's wrestling. And then, that you say, the, the presentation last night was perfect. And I love that it's the Owen Hart Foundation. So it's all for the charitable cause, the foundation in his name, in his memory. Yeah, it was, it was, it's about as perfect as you'll get in wrestling. It was lovely. It was lovely. Now, I had to take a couple of swings at watching this because I did not know what I was seeing for Anarchy in the Arena. I watched it once. I watched it again. I am so confused by this match. Entrance music playing throughout, blood, guts everywhere, here and there. It was I, I don't I still don't know what I was watching, Charlie. I think I loved it. I think I, th- I think I did. I, I didn't enjoy the music. I was glad when Jericho ripped the sound out because that was just annoying me. I wanted to hear the commentary, I wanted to see what was going on. 
Um, I, yeah, I think I loved it. I loved that Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson looked like a uh, white era Daniel Bryan. I really enjoyed that with his vest and his uh, cargo pants on. It was just, it was madness, wasn't it? I, Eddie Kingston limping down from the top of the ramp with gasoline in his hand, looking like the new the new main character from Grand Theft Auto oh. will will stay with me forever. But also the, the bit the storytelling that, that right. If you want a match for storytelling, this is not the one. So, yeah, sell, sell me on the storytelling here, Charlie. Give the it the best shot. Of where <laughs> Kingston goes to straight up murder Jericho with pouring the gun and gets a light out, and of course Brian Danielson stops him because. He can go at the end of the day, this is just wrestling. I don't want you to kill him. And then that cost him the match. So actually, yeah, it was it was all based around the storytelling. Uh, no, it was bonkers. The The most ridiculous spot was the pile driver off the apron onto the stairs. Oh. That was, and that'll get forgotten because it wasn't carnage and blood. That was madness. That, that's... Oh, that's their new favourite thing, isn't it? To flip the stairs on their side and mm. do something because Jeff did a swanton on it earlier in the night. Oh, but pouring blood. Um, what were the Jericho Appreciation Society wearing? When did Chris Jericho start referring to himself as the wizard? I've got a lot of questions coming well, out. Well, this is because of the fireballs that he was able to produce. Oh, as the well, I'd missed that. I'd missed that. And you know what? Fair play to Chris Jericho. He's got it over. He's got this yeah. thing over again. Now, look, I mean, Ryan, one of our listeners, says... Kingston coming out with the petrol looks absolutely terrifying. I genuinely winced at the Mox barbed wire spot. I know some yeah. like Ross really didn't like it at all. They really didn't like it. I mean, here's, here's what I don't understand and what I didn't see coming. That death match with Jericho and Nick Gage has awakened something in Chris Jericho. Because yeah. because we saw at full gear, wasn't it, I think? We saw the street fight with American Top Team, which was... Basically, a bloody violent version, much like this. We had that death match. I, here's my issue with it, because I think I did enjoy it. I think I did enjoy it, and I appreciate innovation. I appreciate difference. Blood and guts now is a walk in the park. I mean, yeah. blood and guts is a stroll round the pitch, and what we've just seen anarchy at the arena is like the marathon de sable. You know, it, it, it's how can you say now we're going to blood and guts after? Eddie Kingston has tried to burn you alive with petrol. Well, I think the only way they can do it is to say they have to keep them caged in, and the only way to do it, and a normal cage won't do it. But I know what you mean. It doesn't. It's not going to be a more brutal match, is it? That's the thing. You go. You go. You've seen anarchy in the arena. It's like this, but less violent. It's blood yeah. and guts. They and that's my issue with this sort of match. It just. I mean, like I said, I appreciate the innovation. I appreciate the effort. I cannot imagine the pain that all of them mm. will be in today. However, it's just it's just too much. Yeah. Moment of the night, though, was Justin Roberts uh, announcing it. Oh, Moment of the night. That We won't say it here because we'll get thrown off the stream, but it was, if you haven't seen it, Justin uses some um, naughty words, and it was just, he's so underrated. He's such an asset. Yeah, yeah he's brilliant. He's also, uh, uh, Brian Danielson used some naughty words to show him what he's about to do to Jericho's head as well at one point, which really was picked up on Mike because no one, no one was trying to hide that. And his, and that's the other thing, you know, that he's got to sell that knee. Uh, I, I just, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting old. Selling, just it, look, it, it was what it was. Here's something else that was what it was: Hardys versus the Bucks, Elite versus Delete. Now, I've seen a lot of folks on social media who were disappointed with what they got. Were expectations too high? I, I I think people were expecting ridiculous spots. The problem, 
the Bucks and the Highs have given themselves is we saw a swan turn onto the stairs. We saw a lot of high-flying spots, but that's just half the course now when these, these two teams meet. I thought it was a brilliant match. I actually thought it was my second favourite match of the night. Really? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I um, I enjoy heel Bucks more than face Bucks. I really do. They're, where they're arrogant, they're doing it for them, not for fans. I really enjoy them. Um, I thought Matt was excellent in the match. I thought he put in a brilliant showing. And Jeff, Jeff looked... I was going to do something wrong with Jeff after he had a slip. Well, you know when he couldn't get on the top rope and yeah. balance? I was going to do something wrong. And then he came back into the match. But I thought for about five minutes, Jeff Hardy looked like he wasn't quite, quite with it the way you'd expect Jeff to be, quite as smooth as he is. But my favourite moment was they, they played into the fact that these, these teams have played each other a lot. And uh, the Hardys went for poetry in motion. And I think Matt Jackson avoided it. And Nick Jackson just kicked him in the head. Because, mm. of course, you know what's coming. If you pretend you don't know what's coming, when Jeff Hardy's in the far corner and Matt Hardy's on all fours, and you've got one laid in the near corner. Everyone knows what's coming there. So why, why wouldn't you play up to that and use it to your advantage? So I, I really enjoyed it. I, I I think it's just expectation management. I think this is where you look at CM Punk come back and you realise why what he did was so special. Because actually, the Hardys are a bit older. They are a bit slower. Matt's lost a step. Jeff has lost a step. It happens to everyone in sport. What you got was a really good, solid match. But you also got a little heavier on the Swantons. You also got a slight step less. That doesn't mean they don't have value. It just means they're not going to be... They can't give you what the legacy of the two teams suggests they might be able to. They they just can't give you that anymore. I also think these two teams get hurt anytime they're not in a ladder match with each other. Yeah. Because all people remember is the mad spots they put together in ladder matches. Do you, do you remember we said, when was it, two or three weeks ago, that why is Derby versus Jeff... No disqualifications. Yeah. It's that because that's yeah. what it needs to be. I'm um, just going into getting some of real reaction that's been coming in on social media, what folks are thinking about it. Andrew uh, says, definite thumbs up. You said it best last weekend when calling it the best value money, a uh, best value for money in wrestling. Lots of great action, a few surprises, including one you can probably guess I was very excited for about the start your own company fantasy booking challenge we had a little while back on the show. Yes, it was long, probably a bit too long, but honestly, it doesn't make much of a difference if I'm still staying up, whether it finishes at 4am, 5am, or in this case, 5.40am. I'm going to be knackered either way. A couple of matches could easily have been on TV, but they were still good. Now, that's a completely fair assessment, and I know some folks feel that way. For me, I think the crowd could have been a lot louder for CM Punk and Hangman Adam Page had they not sat there as long as they sat there. Yeah, I think they were shattered, and they were absolutely shattered because it started so hot, and then as soon as you get tired, which happens... It's hard to get back up. But I, I, I said the start, and I said I think three and a half hours have been the right, right sort of length for this for this show. Yeah. Uh, Tom says, can't wait to catch up on this this evening. Uh, Ross says, my favourite match was a triple threat tag team match. Can't get enough of Jurassic Express. I mean, that's one that I just didn't have time to to watch back, and I'm going to go back and watch because I hear it was Ooh. good. Oh, do definitely do very, very good match. The, the actually, I thought the tag team matches stole the show tonight. I thought, I loved the. Um, Hardys versus the Bucks, like I said, the triple threat for the titles was excellent. But my favourite match of the night was the trios match. I thought it was brilliant. And that's probably because it's my some six of my favourite wrestlers in it. I, I think they're great. I love the Lucha Bros. I love uh, love Pack. Everyone knows my undying love for Malachi Black on this show. I'm a big fan of Brody King and I like Buddy Murphy. I like House of Black a lot. And their masks are really cool, by the way. There's a side yes, note. Yes, they are. But has anyone checked, want... by the way, on Malachi Black's eye? 
Because this, this, you know, when, when this thing on his face is getting bigger and bigger. Yes, this, and I, yes, sorry, yes. It's I, growing I like, out of his eye. I like the consistency, but because he has just done it gradually over. But now this thing is getting absolutely huge. It's like in Game of Thrones, like grayscale, if anyone who's watched Game of Thrones, when you get grayscale, there's a nerdy reference to you all. Um, Lime scale is all I know. I don't know what yes, grayscale quite is. quite different, quite okay. different. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a brilliant match. It was it was a spot fest in the best sort of way. It was just balls to the wall from the start. Just, yeah, I liked it a lot. And then Julia Hart coming at the end, bit of black mist from her. I still think the black mass, I know it's not called that anymore, I don't think, but the spinning heel kick from Malachi Black is the best finisher in wrestling today because it just looks like he kicked your head off. Because let's not forget, he is a kickboxer. He generally would kick your head off. And he's got an amazing way of making it look real. Well, I hope it isn't real for the people getting kicked. It, it, it's um, one you do need to go back and watch. Uh, we'll look at what comes next for AEW very shortly. Let's just talk a little bit about the debut of uh, the former Ember Moon as well, because we were anticipating debuts. Tony Khan doesn't let his pay-per-view events go past without getting some debuts. We saw the debut of the former Ember Moon, now known as Athena, and we saw the debut of former Ring of Honor world champion Rush as well, amongst others. Let's focus on Ember Moon. The women's division could do with some more talent. She's a great get. Yeah. Excellent. She's uh, she's brilliant. I, her run as NXT champion, her match with Asuka especially, are just legendary. Go back and watch them in the, the in the glory years of NXT that you hear me hark on about all the time on here. Um, I hope she keeps the Eclipse as a finisher, whatever she calls it now, because it's not Moon-related, so I don't know. But and the Eclipse, if you don't know, is basically a spinning RKO off the top rope. It's, it's an unbelievable... The timing uh, on that is insane. Yeah, it's an unbelievable finisher. So... I hope she keeps that. She's she's a great wrestler. She's she's brilliant. She's good fun. She's fun to watch. I think she's a great get for. Yeah, like you say, I think I think the problem with the women's division slightly is you have your stars and then not much under them. And I think you need to just build the roster here. And I think she's a great get. Uh, the former Ma- Malcolm Bivens, I also think is a great get because on the mic there aren't many better. He's a great front man for any group. So I think that's a good get for AEW as well. While not, it doesn't. You don't go. Oh, there's another one in the roster because it's not another top tier men's talent coming over it's it's a smart move i think it is and i i i don't think anyone can quibble with it being a fantastic show top to bottom yes it was long and i think the fact we're sitting here going didn't really watch darby allen versus carlo riley when that could have been a main event on dynamite that would have delivered um i i think it is an issue. I think it is an issue, but I appreciate it's probably more one for me than for other people. Let's look ahead for what AEW is doing then. As I say, we're recording and releasing this on Monday, which means we know as little as you do when it comes to what is planned for Dynamite, although we know it's making its California debut. And we also know New Japan and this joint show happening uh, next month. Um, it's tricky to know where they're going to pivot to next, isn't it? I think we'll start to see more of what we saw last week with a little bit of a New Japan invasion. They've got to build somehow this show, Forbidden Door with New Japan, to the American market, to the mainstream American market that maybe doesn't watch New Japan. And the mainstream Western market, such as myself, that doesn't watch New Japan, I don't. So when you saw the New Japan tag team come in last week, I had to go and look who they were. So if they're going to do cross-brand matches like that, they're going to have to build it on AWTV the next four weeks, I think. So I think that's what we'll see a lot of. Um They've announced, haven't they, the 10-man tag between uh, the, who was it, the Hardy, it's the Undisputed Elite against the Hardys and three other people who I've now forgotten from, uh, that got announced on Double Nothing uh, last night. And yeah, so I was excited for that. I remember I saw it, I was excited. I've forgotten who's facing, but it's Undisputed Elite, which is a great It was a lot of wrestling, Charlie. You're forgiven for being, yeah. 
there's a lot of good wrestlers in it. That'll be a good match. The Bucks will go will go down as heroes, won't they? In California, they're going to be like MJF in New York, in um, New Jersey, where when he's at home, yeah. he's not going to get booed. So it'll be a good dynamite. They're billing it as one of the biggest dynamites ever. So let's see. I think we'll get Punk doing a promo. It'll probably open with a Punk promo. I think talking about the title, and maybe we'll see who steps to him. Uh, yeah, I, what they've got to do somehow is. I think they're trying to make the Dynamite after Double or Nothing somehow like the Raw after Mania. Mm. So I could see a debut. I could see a Gargano or a Cesaro coming out to challenge Punk straight up. I could see something like that. I, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I... I see. This is where I think maybe I differ from other fans. I wish AEW just focused on their brand just just a little bit more. I mean, I understand you co-branding with New Japan. You've got that coming up, but you need, in my opinion, to be focused on making the most of this CM Punk run because you're going to get a load of new eyes on what you're doing. Now is the time. Maybe Tony Khan is smarter than me. Maybe he can do both. Final question before we do our favorite matches of the night: Is that the last we see of MJF on AEW television? No. No? No. I think yes. Okay. One of us will be right. I think he's done. I think he's done. I think there are some, and and not done forever, but I think there are some things that are really difficult to come back from. And there is some point, and you'll know this from from a sports background, and I know it from my background, some points a relationship just needs a little bit of time just to let both sides cool down. And I think, I I, I need to go back to it. It's a big gamble MJF's taken, isn't it? Because he's mm. he's in a great position, earning good money. Maybe not the money he wants, but he's taken a gamble that Vince McMahon is looking and saying, we'll give you what you want. Also, if AEW fire him or pay him out, if he hasn't got a contract, he suddenly has a lot less negotiation power. Just from a purely business point of view, if you've got, if you've got AEW wanting you, WWE have to pay more. If you've got no other game in town, no other contract offer, Suddenly, you're going to get that offer's going to get halved at least. So, it is a big gamble. It is a big gamble. You should listen to us, MJF. We know what we're talking about when it comes to negotiating contracts. Uh, look, you told me your second favorite match of the night. Just remind me, favorite match of the night for you? Oh, the trios, uh, House of Black versus the Death Triangle. I really, really enjoyed it. Do you know my favorite was first out the gate? I, th- I think actually bookending it. My favorite was MJF Wardlow. My uh, second favorite, close second, was uh, CM Punk beating Hangman Adam Page. So look, this has been a whistle stop tour through Double or Nothing. Uh, the schedule for releases looks a little bit different over the coming couple of weeks. This is out on Monday, which means no episode on Friday. And then next week we're back to our usual releases, and it's our gimmick special, Charlie. We had fun recording that. We did. We recorded last week our all-time best gimmick changes. So yeah. That'll be a good one next week. And I just while you listen to it, just hope that I have got enough sun cream on in Turkey because I, I, you see by my beard, it is ginger. I may have no hair, but there is ginger in me. And oh, I burn. And I'm, I, I, I'm not good in heat. And the average temperature in Turkey is 31 degrees in June. So I'm not really sure why I booked this holiday, but we'll see. Hey, we'll see. We'll see. Look, if you see a load of people chanting, he's hardcore by a Turkish pool, you'll know exactly what's going on. Here's Charlie underscore Beckett. I'm Jack underscore Murley. This has been Earning the Push, our special double or nothing episode, a gimmick special next week, and then we're back to normal. But for today, thank you for listening and bye-bye. Bye-bye.